Hello lovelies, welcome to Lessons from the Universe with Jennifer Hall. In this podcast you will find that there is no topic off limits and that we talk about just about everything that might be on your mind when it comes to knowing yourself, growing yourself, and the entire process of spiritual awakening. You will hear lots of laughter and hopefully join in, and you will hear the occasional four-letter word. You will definitely hear some inspiration, and occasionally you might even get your ass kicked. Come hang out and see what it's all about. Let's do this. Hello, lovelies. So today I'm wondering if you know something about me. I officiate weddings. I've done weddings that were people I did not know, um, but mostly I do weddings for clients, people whom I know and love, who I have been a part of their process. And this past weekend, I had the great honor of marrying two of my most loyal and longtime clients who have become dear friends of mine, um, who I have been through so much with. It was an unbelievable experience and a beautiful, beautiful wedding. And I can say I stand behind the two of them 100%. Now, as I was preparing them for their wedding and as I was preparing for what would I say to them, I had a couple of things come up that I wanted to share with you. The first one is the phrase sacred love. Now, I have probably had sacred love in my notes for clients hundreds of times over the years. I'm certain that I've had conversations about sacred love, but this time I had the desire to do what any longtime listener knows I love to do, which is really research the words. I decided I wanted to see if there was a definition out there of sacred love. And if there was, would I like it? Would I agree with it? What would it mean to me? Well, not only did I like it and agree with it, and does it mean a lot to me, it literally sounds like something I would say. In fact, I probably could have told any one of my clients that I came up with it and they would have believed me. <laughs> they would have believed me, but I, I don't like to do that. So anyway, the, the definition that I found for sacred love is this. A relationship in which we are inspired to see the divine in another person. A relationship in which we are inspired to see the divine in another person. Now, of course, this could be any kind of love relationship. What I like about this most is it's not delusional. It's not full of BS. It's not, I think they're perfect every minute of every day. It doesn't say anything to imply that we don't know that they have flaws or that they can be a royal pain in our butts, right? It says we are inspired to see the divine in them. And that, beloved, is love. It is, I see you. I see you when you're messy and dirty and pain in the ass. I see you when you don't even like yourself. And yet, in all of the smoke, I see that light always. I'm always inspired to see the divine in you. The other thing that came up that I really, really like was that marriage is an alliance. 
Now, I found myself wanting to discuss with them how their marriage would be an alliance. And the first thing I thought about was when countries become alliances, right? Like they don't always like each other. They don't always agree on their style of government or their primary religion, their source of health care or anything else. And yet they are in alliance anyway. They have chosen to come together. And so as I like to do, I was looking at the definitions of the word alliance. And I found that the three top definitions seem like three phases of love to me. The first is a relationship of mutual benefit. Well, many, many relationships start out that way, right? All kinds. Again, this doesn't necessarily have to be marriage, does it? A relationship of mutual benefit. I would dare to say that if you are in any relationship that is not of mutual benefit, you should probably go ahead and end it, no matter what kind of relationship it is, right? A, a bank, an <laughs> employer, um, even a friendship. These things should be of mutual benefit. The second one is a formal agreement to cooperate for specific purposes. I like this too. And sadly, this is something that's too often not discussed, right? A lot of times people enter into marriage and they have not, or, or any kind of partnership, and they have not discussed what are we agreeing to cooperate around? What are our specific purposes? And too often people fall into roles they did not mean to or have expectations that they never voiced and then they wonder why they're not met right? Whether that's gender roles or any other kind of role. We've got to be specific, beloved. We need to talk more. We need to put a voice on, this is what I expect. This one is something I could bend on. This one I could never bend on. Why do people wait until they are deep and entangled? Or let's be clear, I don't want us to be entangled, but our lives get entangled, right? And should we be able to navigate that space where we can have that formal agreement, we're going to cooperate for specific things, right? Sometimes in work, it's literally just to get the job done. I talked to someone today, cannot stand the humans that she works with, right? But they are able to cooperate for the purpose of the projects that they create quite well. Alliance. The third is when that cooperation works. And that is the choice to combine strengths. Much like the marriage of my two beloved clients this past weekend, they are very clear on what they are bringing together and the strengths that they bring and the sacred love that they have for each other. This is perfection, right? Now, it, does that mean it's going to be easy? Absolutely not. <laughs> right? There will be ups and there will be downs. There will be moments of eruption, moments of rebellion, but there will always be that choice, that magnetism that pulls them together, the thing that allows them to see the divine in one another. This is largely because they exercise something I call satisfaction. And I don't mean satisfaction like, oh, this tastes delicious or whatever, though it could be that. I mean satisfaction, okay, I didn't realize we were going to have a vocabulary lesson today, but satisfaction in its purest, oldest meaning. 
it was first used as more of a verb, right? It was the fulfillment of penance after confession. So someone goes to confessional and they share with the priest what their mistake has been, what they have done, right? Their, their sin. I did air quotes like you could see me just then. And they were given an assignment. Perhaps it was 300 Hail Marys. And the first hundred, they are annoyed. And why do I have to do this? This is stupid. And the second hundred, they are just sort of going through the motions. But by the third hundred, they are weeping and sobbing and changed. And therefore, they have completed their satisfaction, right? It is, they, it is satisfied. But what does this mean when it comes to you and me in this modern world? If we are not people dedicated to this specific religious practice, it is now this new thing for me. And in the way that I am sharing it with you, it is action. It is saying, I recognize where I misstepped, where I miscommunicated, where I misjudged, where I made assumptions, whatever it is. And I am now taking the action to solve this. It is making sure that we find that space to grow new ideas, to develop new concepts of partnership, of alliance, of patience. It is finding that space within ourselves where we switch from attachment to dedication what is attachment anyway? Attachment is prison. The earliest use of the word attachment was to imprison, right? And even today, if you go past the very first definition, the next definition is essentially jewelry, right? So what are our choices if we become overly attached? Prison or jewelry? Prison or jewelry? Do you want to be either one of those, prison or jewelry? No, you don't want to be prison or jewelry. Both of those things suck, <laughs> right? I mean, they don't. Like, they serve a purpose, right? But you follow me. So what am I getting at, beloved? I am getting at grace, equity, and even dissection. I'm getting at that space in where we grow radical calm. When we are clear that what we have for someone is a sacred love, but also that that love in and of itself is not enough. There also has to be a true alliance to back it up. When those two things are in place, when we are dedicated to the satisfaction of following through on what we recognize, we need to change. Then we become romanticized in a way that is palatable, in a way that is tangible, and in a way that we can continue for the long term. So what do we do then so that we can have this radical calm, right? Well, of course, it requires practice and effort. But it also means that we have to allow ourselves to give each other equity. Equity, not equality. These are different, okay? Yes, we are equal. Do not get me wrong. In fact, I could preach about that for a whole hour, but I'm not going to because it's not my point today. My point today is that in our relationships, in our partnerships, we need equity. 
One of my favorite ways to describe equity is something you guys may have actually seen. It's a little cartoon. There are three children trying to watch a baseball game and they're all too short. They can't see over the wooden fence. Somebody comes along and puts three boxes in front of them. All the boxes are the same size. Now, one of the children can see over the fence and watch the baseball game, but the other two still cannot see. Another person comes in and gives them each different size box. And now all three of them can see over the fence and watch the baseball game. Equity. How do we help each other have clarity? How do we give that to one another without shame, without flashing our ego? How do we ask for it without feeling less than? Well, in a true alliance, that's how the choice to combine our strengths. One of the ways I give my husband equity is to make sure he understands what our children need from him. Okay, I am intuitive about this. I am their mother. I taught elementary school for 15 years. I, I, I can see what they need from their father, sometimes when he cannot. Right? And so I'll tell him it would be meaningful if you could recognize our son's assignment for school and just tell him how proud you are of his hard work and make sure that you don't point out any of his spelling mistakes or something like that, right? And he'll be like, well, but blah, blah, blah. Yes, and you have every right to go in and tear it apart and do what you want. However, I'm trying to give you some equity right now. This is what your son needs from you to feel close to you. Equity, I'm scooting that box up, right? He doesn't have to stand on it. But usually when I remind him that this is equity, this is not me trying to tell him what to do. This is not me trying to control him. This is me saying, I need you to be able to see over the fence. I need you to be able to see that our son needs your recognition today more than he needs correct spelling. <laughs> Are you following me? Part of an alliance is providing each other with equity. And part of it is recognizing when we need the box, when we are lacking self-mastery, right? When we are slipping into self-preservation, when we are being arrogant or cocky or insecure or control freak or whatever it is, when we are having a moment where we maybe don't even like ourselves, we need to help our partners give us grace. We need to be able to say, I don't even like myself right now. I'm sorry that I'm being a pain in your ass. I'm sorry that I'm being grumpy. I'm sorry that I'm being defensive. I don't want to be, but my lack of self-mastery right now is controlling me. We give them license and understanding to give us grace, to be unaffected by our lack of self-mastery, because ultimately that's what grace is. And we can give them grace in return, we can choose, we can allow ourselves to be unaffected by their lack of self-mastery. We can push that box, give them a little equity. We can dissect what's going on with them, right? When we start to dissect the wall between us and someone else, it's going to fall into one or more of three categories without fail. Physical, maybe they didn't get enough sleep, they didn't eat enough, they drank too much coffee, they're in physical pain, Right? A lot of times it's physical, and recognizing that brings down the wall. If it's not that, it 
maybe control. They're desiring so desperately to control something. They're feeling they need control over something or they're afraid that they're being controlled. And often it's not even in the particular situation that you're in. It may have something that they, it might be something they brought home from work with them. It's feeling, right? People know at their core that being a control freak is a mistake. If we can recognize it in ourselves, we can usually take a deep breath and let go and we can see that lack of self-mastery and we can move forward. If we can see it in someone else, people really do respond well to being called out on their tendency towards control as long as we do it lovingly, right? As long as we say something to the effects of, you don't need to control this, right? If we tell them they're a control freak and go off on them, we're going to get in a fight, no questions asked. But if you say, quite simply, you don't need to control this and let that sit, it's usually a bomb of calm over an entire situation. And if you are in a position where you need boundaries, do not be afraid to say, you don't need to control this and you don't get to control me. If that's not enough, then you need to look into insecurity. Perhaps this person or yourself, perhaps the lack of self-mastery comes from an insecurity. Sometimes that becomes our responsibility. If we're being insecure, totally our responsibility. If our partner, if our friend, if our coworker is being insecure, at its very source, it is ultimately their responsibility, right? But are we feeding that in the way that we're communicating, right? Are we feeding that by not recognizing that they're having a lapse in self-mastery? It's okay. I've been known to say to my kids, it's okay if you don't have self-mastery right now. Take a deep breath, right? Help them get recentered. But in doing that, and should you do this with anyone that you have any type of relationship with, any kind of alliance with, make sure that you accept when you lack self-mastery. This can be hard sometimes. We don't want to take responsibility for our own emotions and bullshit all the time. Sometimes it's hard right? When your ego gets in the way and you want to be perfect and you want to be right, remember there is nothing more perfect or more right than recognizing that you can show someone else how to acknowledge their self-mastery when it happens to be their turn to do so. The more that we take the time to see with these eyes, this space, the more radical calm we are able to develop. Is it easy? Not all the time. In fact, not that long ago, my husband said to me, well, this is easier for you. This is easy for you. Calm is easy. Calm's not easy for me. I laughed. I literally laughed because the energy I was putting forward to seek right thinking to stay radically calm in a situation where I either wanted to lose my patience or walk away, which I guess walking away would be losing my patience. It was a lot of effort. It was a relief to him when I said, babe, this is not easy. Of course, I acknowledged I'm better at it than him. I mean, I've been practicing and I teach it and I talk about it, right? It is the forefront of my mind. It can be at the forefront of yours too, if you choose. If you choose to seek right thinking, to 
hunger and thirst for right thinking, right? What if? What if we lived in a day and a time where there weren't grocery stores and running water and all day, every day, no matter what we were doing, we had this undercurrent of hunger and thirst. I need to find a route.